those of you guys who don't know me, I'm Jack, and I've got our scripture reading for us today. Uh, it's going to be found in Hebrews 12, uh, 3 through 11. Consider him who endured for sinners such, uh, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary of faith or faint-hearted. <clears throat> In your struggle against sin, you, may, uh, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that, at, that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. Uh, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, uh, besides this we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it let's pray Father, I, uh, I thank you for us just being able to be here, gathered together in your name today. Uh, Father, I know that uh, every week, whether it's been all throughout the summer or this week where school's starting or just about to start, uh, it's been hectic and we've got our minds all over the place. But God, I pray that you just give us the chance today to sit and be still, to open our hearts and receive this word that Rodney's about to give to us today that you be with us this week and be with us in this moment for us to be able to learn and to absorb you through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jack. Uh, good morning, church. Thanks for being here with us today on this Family Sunday. Uh, just one other note about Family Sunday. If things get a little crazy, uh, the sermon is uh, being streamed downstairs. So if you need to escape to the basement uh, to let uh, some restless folk run around a little bit, totally understand that. Uh, yeah, again, thank you for being here on this special Sunday. Um, if you don't know, uh, which I'm sure you do, hopefully you read email, the emails that have been here. Uh, this is our last Sunday in this building, um, which is a, a bittersweet reality, um, even though uh, hopefully, by God's grace, our ceiling doesn't come down during the service, and it is actively, HVAC is actively flooding uh, downstairs. Um, nonetheless, despite those realities, there's no doubt about the incredible uh, ways God's blessed us uh, in this space, and so um, it's a great honor to get to be here with you today uh, for this last time as we prepare to enter into a new season. And on the note of that new season, I know Alex talked about uh, work day and packing, I just want to emphasize, man, those things I think will go really quick if we have all hands on deck, so please make it a point to be a part of that, and then we're really excited on September 4th, we'll gather at 10 a.m. for the last time before switching to our new 9 a.m. time, uh, but that September 4th date, I know it's a holiday weekend, uh, but we're going to join with them to kind of kick off this partnership and have a, a joint service uh, one time uh, before we start, and uh, 
man, I just think that's going to be a really special day. Um, and I look forward to uh, having all of you participate in that. This morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, working through our Hebrews series. Uh, we are going, last week we discussed uh, the first two verses in Hebrews. And um, in those first two verses of Hebrews 12, the author encouraged us to endure, to finish the race set before us. And his ultimate encouragement for believers was that we would look to Jesus, whom he called the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here today, we pick up in verse 3, and the author continues the appeal in this way. It says this in verse 3 of Hebrews 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For you and your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In the midst of all forms of doubt and struggle, we have been blessed as believers and that we can look to the example that Jesus Christ set before us through the Gospels. And Jesus demonstrated for us what it looks like to complete the race that we talked about last week perfectly and completely. And certainly, we can't match that standard. We can't live up to the perfection that Jesus modeled and lived out for us but as we look to God's word and we gaze upon the glory of Jesus and the life he lived, we are empowered to live more gloriously in our own. And this is the power of knowing Jesus, both knowing Jesus through his word and knowing Jesus through committing to our lives to sitting beside him and being with him and listening with our hearts and our minds. And this was important for the church being addressed here in Hebrews because they were facing real persecution from the culture around them. Ultimately, he references here that their struggle was against sin, or maybe a better way to phrase that would be against the world that sin seems to rule. We can pick up from the imagery the fact that he goes to the extreme of you have not yet shed your blood, that the church is in fear and anguish, and there's real anxiety as the culture grows somewhat angry around them, and he encourages them by telling them, this, could, this might sound harsh, but he has a point in it that they have not yet shed their blood. In other words, in the midst of their anxiety, um, he wants them to realize that they have not come even close to crossing into trial that Jesus himself did not face and overcome on their behalf. He was not unfamiliar with what they endured, and they could not reach a point of having to endure that Jesus himself did not experience. Because Jesus Christ endured the hostility of sin to the very max, and yet he did not grow faint-hearted. Often when one decides to quit the race that we've been called to run, whether they acknowledge that they've quit or whether they just quit with their lives and you can just see it, it's sometimes the reason's just desire. Sometimes the reason they quit is that they can simply acknowledge, I just want this thing instead. I just want to live this way instead. But many times, the reason they give for their quitting is hurt. It's the, the consequence of hurt and the pain that they've endured. And it can be incredibly difficult to associate that deep hurt with the infinite grace of a loving God. This, is a, this seems to be a contradiction that the world and often Christians wrestle with. Yet scripture is so, so clear about the relationship between struggle and glory. We just have to be willing to hear and see. Nowhere in scripture is this seen as clearly as in the life of Jesus Christ himself? Have you ever 
experienced church hurt? At his own synagogue in Nazareth, the people wanted, tried to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Have you ever seen people in the church live out lives of hypocrisy? Well, the religious leaders, they constantly tried to trap and embarrass Jesus. Have you ever been slandered or spoken about behind your back? Everyone lied about Jesus. They called him a drunkard and a glutton, things that were nowhere near truth. Have you ever had a close friend or a family member or someone you love betray you and hurt you deeply? Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. Have you ever been publicly ashamed? Jesus was mocked and beaten by many, and last week we saw he despised the shame. Have you ever sought to serve a people who responded ungraciously to your efforts? Well, for Jesus, his own people cried out against him, crucify him. To follow Jesus is to endure pain and suffering. For us, the trials of the Christian life are unique to those of Jesus, only in that many of our trials are birthed from, not, not necessarily from persecution, but from our own sin and poor choice. Yet by his grace, even trials born of our shortcomings serve to teach us of his infinite, unending grace and mercy. Charles Spurgeon once wrote this of this text. If in the Sunday school a class seems unmanageable, if the boys cannot be taught, if the girls seem so giddy, if in the little village station the hearers seem so dull, so inattentive, so careless, and so forgetful, if in any other sphere of labor you do not seem to be appreciated but to be met with very serious rebuffs, never mind. These are nothing compared with the contradictions which the Savior endured, and yet swerved he never and therefore, swerve not you. The Christian life, the call to endurance, can only be understood in light of Jesus, who himself cannot be understood by the world, but only through the power of the Spirit. And through the Spirit's power, in Jesus, we see both perfect calmness and rest in the midst of extreme situations. In the midst of perfect perseverance and strength, we also see perfect calmness and assurance the scripture tells us continually to model jesus in this way paul writes in romans 8 17 and if we are children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him on one hand the christian is instructed to rest and to have peace Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yet, at the same time, we are also assured that there will be struggle that will require perseverance. Strive to enter through the narrow door. This term strive is a very intentional term, meaning deliberate effort. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In these texts, and in the text we're looking at today, 
we see that for the Christian, struggle and sanctification go hand in hand. Rest and wrestling are two sides of the same coin. Yet we wrestle as those who are meant to understand that in all of our battles, in all of our wrestling, the war has already been won in Jesus Christ. And so we fight and we wrestle not to attain, not to earn something, but to grow and be prepared for that which has been earned through Jesus and the cross. We can endure the challenges of the race that we are called to with certainty, knowing that we have been made sons and daughters through faith. Yet, the truth is, we are prone over and over again each day to forget this glorious truth. In Hebrews 12, 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Notice this term, have you forgotten? The author quotes Proverbs 3, reminding us of the truth of God's word. That's where that exhortation comes from. In this verse, we are reminded that we are continually prone to having spiritual amnesia. Our moments of doubt and despair, even our moments of apathy and reluctance, are almost always connected to the question, have you forgotten? Christian, we cannot be healthy without the truth of God's word any more than we can be healthy without water. The word of God reminds us of who he is and of what he has done, and thus of who we are. Because one of the symptoms of sin is that we are prone to forget these truths and to need to be reminded of them each and every day in the same way that we need water to live. We are provided living water through the truth of the gospel that we might know and remember and be encouraged to endure. And through his word, he stretches us. He molds us into Christ-likeness, and he weaves within our soul the truths we need to remember, to endure, and know at no time does he do this more than in our times of struggle and uncertainty, when faith is all that we have. This is referred to, he uses the term discipline to encompass these times. In verse 7 through 11, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. For the Christian, we need regularly be reminded that all circumstances are working together for our good. This is true of the good days, the days that we celebrate, and the bad days, the days that we mourn. When we face trials, 
When we face hardship and the testing of our faith, God is not leaving us alone or abandoning us, but he disciplines us in those moments. And we, we tend to think of discipline only in a negative sense. But just as somebody might be disciplined in the midst of, of a, for a crime or for something they've done wrong, so an athlete is disciplined and that they are prepared for, strengthened for the race that lie ahead. In other words, the encouragement to the church here is that when the world intends to harm them, when the enemy intends to discourage, the Lord allows this, that you might be disciplined, strengthened to endure. God, even the, the bad things, even the things that, that are, are difficult to understand, are difficult to take hold of, that are the byproduct of sin, are not allowed to take place outside of the sovereign will of our God, who for the Christian is working all things together for our good and his glory. In the midst of difficult seasons, our faith is tested, and like a runner, we are strengthened that we might run all the better. God has a purpose and a design in what is happening in the midst of all circumstances. Notice the four key terms, even here in this text. As we get into verses 10 and 11, we see the terms, our good, his holiness, share his holiness, peaceful fruit of righteousness are good he knows what is better he knows not merely that which is temporary but he knows that which is needed for us to endure he is not just seeing the moment and the momentary affliction but he looks upon our lives on the story of his redemptive people and he sees the eternal picture our moment of struggle in a moment might yield pain for a time but through the grace of God, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He speaks of our holiness. He is inviting us to share in His holiness. We need only to trust in Him who has attained it. The pain that we endure, the trials we face, they are painful for the moment, but much like training for a race, they are preparing us, making us all the stronger. They strengthen us and they produce peace, this says. I mean, have you, have you ever noticed, like, when you watch, like, a professional runner, and they're in the midst of this long race, and they just, they look so, pe they, they don't look peaceful compared to somebody just sitting, but compared to me running, they look super peaceful, like, they're just going, like, they've been running for a long time, and they're just, they, they just are carrying forward steadfast, where most of regular person who hasn't trained for that just looks like they're dying and they're just about to pass out at any time so for us seasons of struggle and suffering empower us and give us peace that we might endure and per persevere in the midst of all circumstance and this is the fruit of righteousness that we have attained in jesus i'm gonna give you a little more crude analogy of this do you ever know a rich kid growing up like a kid you just couldn't stand. just seemed like he had everything. I'm from, I graduated high school in Cassville. When you get to high school, some of the area communities come to high school there. And one of those is Shell Knob, which is like a lake town around Table Rock Lake. I know those kids weren't rich just because they lived by the lake, but we all just assumed they were. And so we, you know, we made jokes about that. Every, this has been true uh, for, for years and years. The stereo, it's a stereotype that our, our culture is well aware of. Pop culture is filled with the bad guy, the protagonist, is just the little rich kid that has everything. Um, this is an antagonist that all of us have grown up knowing somebody we associated with in that way, whether it was true or not. 
I'm talking about the kid who appears to have it all, yet it was all given to them without any discipline being required. And as a result, it stunted him. And he's the proverbial man-child. We all know somebody that comes to our mind when we think about that. Well, make no mistake, you are the rich kid if you are the son of the Most High King. You've been given everything solely by the grace of a loving Father. You have inherited glory beyond that which the world can measure, yet our Father is gracious and wise. He doesn't simply hand us the keys to the kingdom and walk away. Instead, as a loving father, he disciplines us. He teaches us to be stewards of the grace that we have inherited. To live lives that reflect the holy name that we have been given by him. He teaches us to walk in the safety of his ways and to rest in the glory of his presence. As a child, I didn't understand the significance of my parents' discipline. My parents, man, worked really, really hard, sometimes multiple jobs, and we got brought into that a lot. As a kid, I remember going with my dad. My dad did a lot of remodel work on the side just to have extra money. We cut wood and sold wood by the side of the road in the wintertime. Uh, We ran a hay crew in the summertime. Working hard was just part of life, and while I at times lamented that as a kid, I now understand. In the midst of the hardship of this world and what it requires to support a family and to grind it out, I get it. I get what they were teaching me. My parents were preparing me for real life. And how much more is my eternal, perfect father preparing me for eternal life in the midst of all seasons that I might finish well? Nowhere in my life have I ever seen the fruit of this kind of discipline borne out as much as I did when I worked in assisted living. When we were planting rooted in northwest Arkansas, before we started in Joplin, I worked full-time as an assisted living administrator um, for a group of assisted living homes in Bentonville. And there was nothing like watching the person who, the Christian, who was at the very end of their life, who was on the verge and even watching them die, when they had spent a lifetime preparing for that. It's such a contrast between the youth who fear death so much. I mean, we'll take all the pills, all the vitamins, go to all the CrossFits, do all the, eat all the terrible food, whatever we have to do to make sure death stays far away. Yet, over and over, like it was incredibly rare. I I never even saw it where a, a Christian at the end of their life had any hint of that. Certainly, there was that anxious anticipation, but I watched over and over again people who just in this, in in, in a way that I can't explain, were ready to go, had been fully prepared over the course of their life, and now were fully ready to enter the, the glory of the Father. This is what our difficult days and our trials are producing in us. They're preparing us for glory. As we prepare to close this morning, keeping things a little bit shorter with it being Family Sunday, and I want to share just a little video um, at the end of our service today. But before I close, I just want to acknowledge two things this morning. Number one, this text is being spoken to believers who endured something we are pretty unfamiliar with. 
Most of us have never faced a real danger for simply gathering in worship. And this world is filled with brothers and sisters who know that kind of fear all too well. And while we tend to feel sorry for them, the truth of this text is that they also have been trained to a degree that we have not. And I'm not saying that they're more loved. But my point is, when we are stretched, when we are strengthened, we need not shy away from such discipline. From the, we count it all the joy that God has bore, seen us as worthy to endure such things. We count it a blessing when the Lord provides moments of trial. As it says in James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. We have to change our perspective of how we view the one who has been asked to endure in the midst of difficulty. For God is doing something in them. It's not, it's not pointless. It's not useless. God is always doing something and producing something that glorifies him and carries us forward. It's an honor, therefore, to be called to suffer in the name of our Lord. For we know that suffering for Christ produces steadfastness and prepares us for that eternal weight of glory until we rejoice in the midst of it. So we endure in all seasons. The second thing I want to acknowledge, maybe just getting a little more personal to our circumstance this morning, is that today represents a moment where we are being stretched as a body. Now, don't hear me. This is really important. Don't hear me being overly dramatic this morning, okay? I am not comparing moving building locations to being persecuted or even to actually suffering, okay? I cannot make this more clear. We are incredibly blessed. Don't hear me trying to like stretch this into making, like that would be the most American thing ever to do. I'm not doing that. However, I do acknowledge that we are all likely feeling the weight to different degrees of being stretched a bit today. I've heard that from many of you um, over the last few weeks, and I've felt that in myself. We prayed, the Lord provided, and as, almost, as is almost always the case, the Lord provided in a way that both stretches us and glorifies Him. Our comfort, our familiarity, our tradition, these are just not God's highest values. His glory is in all circumstances. And I feel the weight of that now, even knowing that I am preaching in this sanctuary for the last time. I feel the anxious excitement of venturing into a new season. Of course. But I also know that God is good and so are his ways. Verse 9 asks us a challenging question that I find appropriate this morning at this stage of where we're at as a church. Verse 9 poses the question, Shall we be subject to the Father and live? Local churches of all ages, they end, either because they faithfully finish the race. Every local church has a start date and an end date, and for many, that end date just comes because it's just the end of the line, just like our lives do. Big C church prevails to the end, local churches come and go, and by God's grace, multiply and leave a legacy beyond. But sometimes, local churches end because they become content to choose comfort over discipline, and thus they choose to rebel against the Father and die. And in the book of Revelation, when we were in that last year, we saw that's referred to as God removing their lampstand. 
In this transition that lay ahead for us, it's really exciting, but make no mistake, it will stretch us. It's not just a building, but God's calling us into a new season, a season of partnership. There's a reason that local churches don't partner, because it requires a great deal of humility and sacrifice to partner with other churches, with other believers. We have a hard enough time uh, sometimes partnering with the people in this room who you love, let alone partnering with folks that you haven't built that up with. We're facing a, a season of change. It's ironic that young church plants that tend to laud not being traditional so quickly become traditional and become so traditional about not being traditional. And some of those things will be challenged in the days ahead. And we're certainly facing, I believe, a season of growth. Having a new gathering in a new location means new people, new neighbors. God will certainly add to our number, which means new hurts, new sins, new struggles, new burdens to bear. And the question I just asked this morning in regards to the specific reality of today is will we trust him? Will we submit to his sovereign, lovingly, fatherly care in the midst of all circumstances? And I trust that we will. But there will be days, and maybe that's even today, that we'll have to encourage one another that we might grow weary and not lose heart. I want to ensure you, Christian, that you've been called to something spectacular. And I'm not talking about this transition or even the planting of this local body. I'm talking about you being part of a chosen people destined for glory in the kingdom of God who has always been faithful in his pursuit of you. By his grace, with the Spirit's help, we'll keep the faith, we'll fight the good fight, and if he would so allow it, we'll finish our race together. Would we, you join me in just praying to that end here this morning.